0: Hi, this is Tiffany Prophet. I'm a second year emergency medicine resident at Lakeland Health in St. Joseph, Michigan.
1: And I'm Tom. I'm a first-year resident. And
0: we're here today to talk about digitalis toxicity. So to start off, Tom?
1: Well, let's start with some digoxin basics. What is digoxin, and why would someone be taking it?
0: Those are very excellent questions. To start off, I like to give a little background. Digoxin is derived from the foxglove flower. Again, these are clusters of nice white and purple bell-shaped flowers. They look beautiful, but they can be deadly. We generally see it in patients who have tachyarrhythmias, such as paroxysmal, supraventricular tachycardia, CHF, atrial fibrillation, or atrial flutter. Digitalis inhibits the sodium-potassium ATPase pump in the cell. This means it can increase your intracellular calcium to increase cardiac cell contractility. However, where we get into trouble is it also increases extracellular potassium. You'll see some increases in vagal tone. It can slow your AV node. And some things you need to worry about in patients with comorbidities is that it is metabolized by the liver and then excreted by the kidneys. So if you've got the young healthy person who intentionally or unintentionally overdosed on digoxin, their kidney can metabolize it in 36 to 48 hours. However, if you've got one of your chronic users with potentially a a sicker kidney, a less healthy kidney, that can take upwards of three and a half to five days, which is an eternity with dig
1: So you're working a shift, and the EMS call comes in that someone overdosed on digoxin. What should you expect to see clinically, and what questions do you need to ask as they roll in through the door?
0: Well, clinically, the acute and chronic, they can have some crossover. Let's start with the acute situation. Here again, whether it's an intentional or accidental ingestion, the patient could seem benign, they could have nausea, vomiting, belly pain. How often do we see that in the department and we chalk it up to nothing? They can have more serious symptoms such as bradyarrhythmias, supraventricular tachycardias, AV blocks, and then you have these kind of strange side effects that boards absolutely love such as xanthopsia, the yellow vision, your yellow halos. Now, when you have a chronic toxicity, We're probably gonna see these in our older patients. Think back to those sick kidneys. This could be the result of some other underlying illness, so don't forget those dig levels, as we'll talk about in just a bit. They could have any sort of electrolyte abnormality. They could have drug interactions, and come on. These people are always on dozens of different drugs. They're just ripe to have a bad response and toxicity. They'll get more neuropsychiatric symptoms, which separates them from the acute. They may look very much like the acute, but those neuropsych symptoms are really going to be that key tell that's going to give you a clue that this might be chronic. Again, xanthopsia, yellow halos.
1: What other questions would you ask EMS?
0: So from EMS, the thing you care about are your vitals, vitals, vitals. As our wonderful program director likes to say, vitals are vital. You need to know if they're abnormal, uh, which would tell you whether your patient is stable or unstable. Really focus on that blood pressure and that heart rate. And again, you want that patient's age. Ideally, you'd have a 12 lead so that you could get an idea of the rhythm. And once you get that information, you need to start talking to your team in the department about what kind of medications you need and which rooms they should go to. Is this a full recess bay unstable patient? Or are they okay to be kind of watched in front of that attending row?
1: What other substances could the patient take that could look similar? We're talking about posers, also known as what looks like DIG toxicity.
0: Excellent question. And these are things that are key to keep in the back of your mind on these patients. Don't just blow it off as this has to be DIG because someone had it somewhere in the house. You have to remember, any AV nodal blocker can present with these symptoms, such as calcium channel blockers, beta blockers, amiodarone, You can see clonidine, you can see isolated hyperkalemia, you can see hypothermia and hypothyroidism presenting this way. So don't close that differential loop too quickly. And remember that the treatments for these can be very different in some ways, and they have very different tells. So don't be led too far astray.
1: Okay. so knowing all that, what would your workup look like?
0: In terms of workup, you want your CMP, magnesium, digoxin level, and an EKG. Why do we want these? We want to check our kidney function. Again, that's how it's eliminated. Are we in the long haul, or are we in a short haul for this critical patient? We want to check their potassium, and you want serial potassium levels on these patients, because their potassium level, especially if it's high, is a better predictor of mortality in the acute setting than those digoxin levels alone. You also want to be aware and take note of hypercalcemia, or hypomagnesemia. When you're looking at your EKG, outside from looking for those dysrhythmias and those blocks, a quick tell can be that sagging, scooped out, sad ST depression, the Salvador Dali mustache that we all
1: love. So you put in your labs and the patient becomes unstable. The symptoms are consistent with the digoxin toxicity. What's your management?
0: Well, for starters, in the emergency department, if we're fortunate to be within that first hour when you're managing an acute ingestion, remember this is acute only, you can give them activated charcoal which is good, we feel like we're doing something, we're giving the patient a binding agent right away. Outside of the activated charcoal, you want atropine bet hand. Now keep in mind, this lasts two to three hours, so it's just buying you enough time to get them stabilized and hopefully all the interventions you need. Ideally, your digibind. Obviously, if the magnesium is low, replete that. If your potassium is low, and the renal function is intact, replete that. If your potassium is high, Manage it like you would any hyperkalemia situation where they're unstable. Give them those 10 units of IV insulin with the amp of D50. Give them the sodium bicarb. Give them high-dose albuterol. If they're critical, consider dialyzing. I know there's still that debate about the calcium chloride, calcium gluconate. You can talk to your attendings, decide what you want to do with that.
1: What's the indication for digoxin immune antibody, and how is it administered and dosed?
0: Well, this is an excellent point to bring up, Tom. The the indications for digoxin immune antibody are very concrete. We don't just willy-nilly inject this into anyone who's had a little bit of DIG on board. You want to look for a patient who's hemodynamically unstable. Again, they'll probably be in that recess bay that we love so much. They will have end organ damage. Look for renal dysfunction, elevated lactate, elevated troponins, elevated LFTs. Are you sensing a trend here? Things are elevated. If it's an acute ingestion, the digoxin level will be over 10. If it's a chronic ingestion, look for that digoxin level over 4. And again, if the potassium is over 5, these are all indications to give digoxin immune antibody.
1: So I've heard about these 5s and 10s of digoxin. Can you explain that a little bit more?
0: I would love to because this is my little thing. So how I like to remember digoxin toxicity is my fives and tens. A potassium over 5, a digoxin over 10, you give 10 vials of your digoxin immune antibody and atropine 0.5 MIgs for any bradycardia.
1: All right. I think that wraps it up. Thanks, Tiffany.
0: All right. Thanks, Tom. Thanks for helping me out today. And thank you all for listening.